When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. On this week's episode, I chat to one of the most hardworking and effervescent people I know, Kate Thornton. Kate is a true podcast addict like me, and in a world of pull quotes, we both love the long form. Kate started off in journalism and made her mark as the youngest ever editor of Smash Hits magazine. We chat about her grit and fearlessness in getting to the position and some of the famous faces she's met in her career. In fact, Kate tells me about a band of five women during her Smash Hits days storming into her office and demanding to be heard. If I say hot pants and buffalo shoes, I wonder if you can guess who they are. In amongst all of this, we talk through all things podcasts, including Kate's own podcast, White Wine Question Time, why she believes in the power of therapy, taking inspiration from Esther Perel, and why she couldn't stop listening to real-life drama series, The Dropout. I'll leave you to enjoy this episode, as it's a good one. So let's get Castaway with Kate Thornton. Kate Thornton, welcome to Castaway. I'm so excited to be here. I'm a big fan. This is where well, I come to get all my inspiration. I I know for a fact you are a podcast fan anyway and have been for a long time. Do you remember the first yeah. podcast you listened to? Yes, it was two. Well, there was two. That, so I started with the original and arguably still one of the best Desert Island Discs. Oh. And that, I think that was before they were even called podcasts. And I used to think, listen to things like the Ricky Gervais, Stephen Merchant, Carl Pilkington ones because I could never listen in real time. So, But I don't even know that they were officially known as podcasts then. But the one that really sucked me in and literally took me under into the brilliant landscape of podcasting was uh, Unfiltered with James O'Brien. And he now does a very similar show called Full Disclosure, but he he did it for a website called joe.com. And it was just, for me, just, I love a long conversation. You know me, babe. And we live in a world of 140 characters, 30 second videos. And for me, there was just this beautiful relief and release in listening to something that was a conversation that breathed. And James is such a brilliant interviewer. And he interviewed really interesting and fascinating people on that, that show. There's a brilliant back catalogue up still on, on where you've, well, wherever you get your podcasts. But those were the ones that really kind of got me, got me going. I'm James O'Brien, and I'm delighted to invite you to join me for my new podcast, Full Disclosure. It will be a series of revealing long-form, in-depth interviews with stars of screen, stage, sport, comedy, politics, music and much more. Subscribe now on the LBC app, the Global Player or wherever you're listening to this. James is brilliant. Um, a lot of people will be familiar with James. And I mean, as you said, he talks to such a wide range of people, like from Tony Blair to Ricky Gervais to Steve Coogan. Yeah. It's every Monday for a brand new episode. But you mentioned there the long form. And I think I want to kind of go back to your roots, Kate, and and your your journalism background and how you kind of got into this industry. And um, I'm the same as you. And, and I just feel like 
we always had a small amount of time with people. When I'm interviewing people, it was always, you've got five minutes here, you've got 10 minutes here. I crave yeah. the long form, which is why I love podcasts. Why, why did you get into, the, why did you get into this industry, Kate? <laughs> because it was the only thing that I, I that, that sort of flicked my switch and, and turned the lights on, I suppose. I think at school I was just horribly average or below average in everything except English and drama. I think I worked out pretty quickly that you've got to find your thing in life and you don't have to be good at everything. Just find something that really makes you want to leap out of bed. And for me, originally it was reading, writing, and then broadcasting came along as as a really beautiful surprise. I, I was never intending to be a broadcaster, but I, I remember sitting down with a careers advisor at school and, and I, you know, I went to a regular comp um, and I sat down with this careers advice officer and, and said I wanted to be a journalist. And she, she sort of looked at me with this sort of condescending pity, really, is probably the best way to describe it, and told me that that's very nice, but you should really think maybe about working in a typing pool, which tells you how old I am, because those things still existed. And and that infuriated me. And I think the fact that she told me, she put a ceiling on my ambition, and I was furious about that, and became so determined to become a journalist and a and and somebody that is just a storyteller, really, because that's mm-hmm. that's I was that kid that used to hide under my duvet when my mum said, you've got to turn your lights out now with a torch <laughs> so I can carry on reading my books, you know. So it's always been there. It, it, it's, it is genuinely, you know, if 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 I was without something to read, I would go into a panic. I never go to sleep without reading, even if I'm as drunk as a skunk and can't <laughs> remember what I've read the next day. It's just my thing. Getting into industry, I mean, it's not the easiest to crack, and 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 especially as as a female starting out, I feel it's a very male-dominated industry. I remember being in a newsroom, and I was one of very few females, and I found it hard because, uh, like, just talk about like I suppose that journey because I, I found it hard because I said I want to be a journalism, I want to tell stories, I want to interview people, and then the reality is very different when you're an intern or when you're in a newsroom and they used to try and send me off to people's doors to knock on the doors to try and get a quote. And I thought, I don't want to do this. This is not how I want to work. That's exactly my experience. And that's how I ended up becoming the editor of Smash Hits. <laughs> so what, what happened for me was I'd, I finished my uh, A-levels and applied to every journalism college in the land and was turned down by every single one of them, which was heartbreaking. I mean, like soul destroying because I didn't have a plan B and I had one place left to try. And that was the London College of Printing, which I think is now the London Institute. And by the by the grace of God, I got in and I got a, a place on the course. And it was a one year course. And part of the expectation of the course was that you had to find two work placements, which, again, was really hard. You know, you can't imagine that writing to an organization, offering your services for nothing would warrant not even a reply most most of the time. But I did get uh, a placement, at a magazine that's now closed called New Woman. And then um, the Sunday Mirror magazine gave me a shot. Uh, to go and work there for two weeks. And I had this brilliant, very quirky female editor there called Kate Hadley. And I just went up to her desk every day and said, what can I do today? And I was really honest with her. I said, look, I'm if I don't get a job at the end of this, I have to go home. And my home is in Cheltenham in Gloucestershire. And and I've already worked at the local paper there. So I've got to get a job. What do I have to do to, to impress, really? And she told me and I did it. You know, I, I got in early. I stayed late. I 
no job was ever too menial. And at the end of it, she said, yeah, do you know what? I'll, I'll give you a job. And I could have cried with happiness. And she said, um, you can start as soon as you finish your exams. And I was so green. But I finished my exams at 1.30 and I changed in the loos at college into some really hideous outfit that I'd ordered from my mum's Freeman catalogue that made me look like Melanie <laughs> Griffiths in Working Girl. It was like a proper power. It's a strong look, Kate. It's a strong look. Love shoulder uh, I got the tube up from the Elephant and Castle, which is where my college was, up to Fleet Street. And I knocked, I walked into the offices and said, I'm here. And that was it. I literally didn't even like stop for a sandwich. <laughs> oh, I love that. But that that's your, your work ethic. Um, you have that about you. And I think when you love what you do, it's very easy to have that enthusiasm. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, I, I still, I still say to my son now as he's figuring out what it is that flicks his switch, you know, if you find something you love, you genuinely will never work a day in your life. Mm-hmm. And for the most part, that has been my experience. Don't get me wrong. It's a tough old business. And I think the face of journalism has changed irrevocably. And it's a very hard business to earn a, a genuine living in. I mean, you and I have transitioned into broadcasting and we're in a slightly different part of journalism now I suppose but I think if you're just a traditional want to write want to write in print it's a really tough place to be now and and then I I I got promoted quite quickly at the mirror group purely because they just didn't have any young readers or any writers under 30 on the on the title that could appeal to them and there was this big meeting that I was kind of serving teas and coffees for when I was in my, I was an editorial assistant and they were sort of scratching their heads going, well, you know, the average age of a mirror reader is 65 and we're not getting their kids through the door. How do we do that? And I just put my hand up and said, I'll do it. You don't have to pay me. And, and I ended up with a column <laughs> in Fleet Street at the age of 20 where I just interviewed a pop star. I ran a competition. I wrote some record reviews and we did a couple of competitions. It, I mean, it was, it was really very, it was really very gentle. And then I got promoted over to the daily title. And that's when I started getting asked to do things like, would you go and stand on, you know, I remember it being Bob Geldof's doorstep. And I said, well, because his wife had left him. I just said, well, I'm sorry, but I don't understand how that's in the public interest. Mm -hmm. That's their business. That's not my business. And I knew straight away with the response to that, that it was time to look for another job. And um, Mark Frith, who is now the editor of the uh, Radio Times, he he was in the editor's chair at Smash Hits and he said, look, I'm leaving and there's no obvious internal candidates. Why don't you apply for the job? And I'd never applied for a job. I'd never had to. I'd had loads and loads of like jobs as a student where I worked in, I don't know, I worked fixing vending machines for Shell Oil. And I worked <laughs> as a receptionist in a sexually transmis- transmitted disease clinic in Waterloo. I did every job you could just to kind of turn a buck to get through college. I'd never been for a proper job interview. So I thought, I'll just apply for the experience of, of, of applying, never expecting to get it. And Christ, they must have been short of applicants because I got it. <laughs> I love that when you say, I just applied for the experience. I actually got, um, I get a lot of messages, you probably do too, from young women who are asking about how to get mm. into the industry. And I'd say, everything you do is experience. There's not one or right path like everyone's path's different I think one girl actually this morning I saw a message and she had said that oh I was interning at a radio station and I managed to get on air for about 12 seconds but it wasn't very good so I can't really use it on my CV and I just said that 12 seconds you have learned from that and you use that and you move on to the next one and I think you have to have that mentality and also what I love about you and you haven't changed a bit and I, I, don't, I don't even know you that long a few years but since the yeah. first time I met you you just had this energy and when people meet you they just want to be near you because you have that 
that energy. Uh, but also, you you don't wait for people to to give you an opportunity. You you go out there, like you said with with the job. You're like, what what, what about me? Could, should I apply for that? And I remember someone saying to me oh, I wish I'd won that MTV competition that I won. And I said, but did you enter it? And yeah. I think you have to have that mindset where things aren't going to come to you. you got to go out there. Totally. And I, th- and I completely agree with you on that, you know. Um, and, and the one advice I give to anybody that DMs me or gets in touch is just don't fear failure because it, I, hate, I hate that we see, I hate that word failure, actually. I think every time something goes wrong, I reframe it as a lesson because those are the most that they are the biggest form of education it's not when things go right because the path to success can be you know it it can be relatively an easy one actually and then you get to kind of the peak of where you wanted to be and you think oh now this is tricky how do I stay here or where do I go next or how do I manage this but actually you know what have you got to lose what did you have to lose by entering that competition nothing Mm -hmm. what did I Mm -hmm. have to lose by tapping on that editor's door and saying what do I need to do to get a job Mm -hmm. the worst is she's going to think I'm pushy the worst thing that would happen is she'd, she'd find me highly irritating and you know not ask me back what did I lose from that well nothing and actually the gains were huge as I get older I'm far less fearless and I really mm-hmm. need to kind of tap into some of that that youthful kind of bravado that I had that got me a lot of places actually and, yeah. and a lot of it was just born out of naivety I mean would I apply now to be the editor of a magazine shit no and did I have a clue what I was doing when I did it no but I just believed that I could I could give it a go. I didn't even know that I could do the job. I just thought, oh, well, I, I really want to try. And and sometimes we, we can talk ourselves out of being brave. And actually, it's when you're brave that your wings expand and you learn to fly, I think. I love how you put that. You've given me such a juicy list of podcast recommendations. Do you like and, them? Oh, they are juicy. And also... Such a wide range. I love this. I, I love that you listen to quite a mixture of things. You kind of listen to everything. I do. And a bit like that with music. And I know you are too, because yeah. you and I are unashamed in our love of all kinds of music. My musical church is is broad and open. And the yeah. same with my, my podcast, actually. I think the journalist in me will always be there in as much as I'm fascinated by people. I love stories. When you said choose five, I was like, God, that's hard. Well, you gave you okay. gave me a few more, and you know what? To be honest with you, normally when I have conversations with people, we end up talking about other podcasts that they didn't even think about. Because sometimes yeah. when you tell, I mean, you ask somebody, it's similar to you know, we will talk about Desert Island Discs. When someone says pick eight songs, you think, how am I going to pick eight songs? Like, what like what eight songs yeah. do I pick? And then the minute you talk, you're like, oh, what about this one? Or what about this one? And as the conversation progresses, you add in all these extra songs that you didn't mean yeah. to. It's similar with podcasts. Exactly. Really quickly, before I move on to one of your recommendations, you must have seen a lot during your time as editor of Smash Hits and there must have been a lot that you couldn't talk about. Do you have any good stories that you can talk about now? Do you know what? My time at Smash Hits was really interesting in terms of the bookends that, that kind of punctuated it. So I got the job and I was starting in the January and Take That literally broke up within weeks of me getting the job. So our big cover stars were no more. And then by the end of that year, in the midst of it all, we had Blur the Oasis, we had Pulp, we had, you know, that whole Britpop movement. We had the Year of the Brits where Michael Jackson was mooned by Jarvis Cocker, who was arrested oh. and bailed out by Bob Mortimer, who was in the audience but happens to be a solicitor. It was just brilliantly rich in terms of content. And then at the very towards the very end of that that year, these five girls in, exploded into my office while I was in a meeting with my publisher 
and refused to leave until I came out and and acknowledged them and heard their pitch as to why they were going to be the next big thing. And they were the Spice Girls. They were undeniable. And I gave them my word. As Jerry Hallowell said to me in that moment, stood on my desk in a pair of hot pants and buffalo shoes, you owe it to us. You're a woman in the chair and we're women and we, we can do this together. And we did. And it was amazing. Oh. And I and it was it was intoxicating. And they did go on to change pop music globally I mean it was it was a phenomenal story to be a very small part of so actually that year at Smash Hits started with us kind of doing almost these funeral-esque tribute packages to take that and ended with this rainbow explosion of five brilliant girls with the catchiest pop songs taking over the world with a manifesto that was all about female empowerment and yeah it, I mean in terms of a time to be alive it was a great time to oh. be alive as the editor of Smash It. What an iconic time to be part of. You've had so many guests on uh, Quite Wild Question Time and one I want to talk about is Scroobius Pip because I want to talk about his podcast too. Uh, I remember meeting him oh years ago with Daniel Sack at Wireless Festival. When I think of podcasts I think of the Distraction Pieces podcast because it's been going I think since I think 2014. I feel like in the last year or two everyone has a podcast but there's a few people like yourself who've been going for for a few years now. Talk to me about Scroobius. So I I think he is like the forefather of UK podcasting. I mean, his body of work is enormous. Distraction Pieces is one of the, probably one of the first podcasts that enabled that big long form interview piece. I love the fact that he has a stutter and he is one of the biggest voices in podcast. I love that that never got in his way. And his story is fascinating because he is a poet and a rapper who moved into radio and he was at Radio X or XFM as it was then, had this brilliant show, won a a Sony Gold. And he went on the Joe Rogan show in the States. Now, Joe Rogan's arguably the biggest podcast in the world, I suppose, Mm -hmm. alongside things like American Life and Serial. And he was a guest on Joe Rogan's show and he said to Joe, you know, how does it work podcasting? And Joe said to him, why are you sticking with a radio network? Why are you not doing this yourself? So he bought podcasting for me to the UK, really. And he, he he, he quit the hit show, which is a very brave thing to do. And started out on his own. And he's got this network of other great shows that he publishes. And he's passionate. And, I mean, truly passionate. I mean, if if he asked me to do anything, if he asked me to go and stand in the street, you know, with an umbrella (laughs) on my head, with my feet in a plant pot, I'd do it for him. Because I probably think that there's a great reason why we should do that. Because I just love his thinking. And I love the way he interviews people and the angle that he takes. He's not a journalist. And sometimes Mm -hmm. there's, there's beauty in that, you know, the way that he'll just find these really lovely sweet spots in people's stories and drill into them and the people that he's had on the show I mean the back catalogue is a smorgasbord of loveliness it really is I should explain what this is the Distraction Pieces podcast is going to be um, a weekly podcast every Wednesday hosted by me Scroobius Pip Um, and it's just going to be an hour to to 90 minutes of conversation with different people that I think it would be interesting to have a conversation with. There's not going to be a theme. It's not just going to be hip-hop or spoken word. If you know of my, my, my background, you may have assumed that. Just going to be interesting. I think People I think are going to be interesting to hear a long conversation with. I think the way the internet has gone now, there's so much just bite-sized information and snippets that the, the, the art of, of the long-form conversation or long-form interview is dying. So podcasts are bringing that back, and I think that's fantastic. 
you mentioned there he's not a journalist which actually works and another podcast that you have on your list which is on my list also is David Tennant does a podcast David Tennant is a brilliant interviewer because he doesn't say a lot isn't he and what what I love about it and this is again something that I I started out with as a part of white one question time was I wanted to capture a conversation between friends and that's what David Tennant does actually these are all people that he's he knows and has a history with because he's worked with them and a friendship has grown from that. And that's really been my story. And when I arrived in London and I knew my boyfriend at the time and I had no other friends and predominantly all of the brilliant people that I've, I've collected as friends across the years have come through working with people or knowing them in a sort of work environment. Um, you know, that's how we met you and I. That, I think a dance floor was involved as well. <laughs> always, babe, always. I love a dance floor. Can't do much on it, but I still dance like no one's watching, <laughs> which is for the best. <laughs> um, but with David, I think he really captures that as well. And there is something beautiful about listening in on a conversation between friends. And that's something I really, really tried to do with White Wine Question Time from the get-go is I wanted people to feel that they were almost sat at my kitchen island and listening in with us. Because and, and that's what you get from David's podcast is that shared knowledge between two friends that cuts mm. cuts through that first polite layer of getting to know somebody you're straight in with the familiar and there's there's something gorgeous about that he does this great thing at the beginning where he actually he starts they start recording as soon as he enters the room so you does that lovely yeah. where I don't know initially if the person he's talking to knows that they're recording I'm sure they know afterwards but I love that's the setting up the how are you I love yeah. that and immediately <laughs> you feel like you're there come on in Alfred come on Alfred so you sit there oh you get the cushion uh, do you want the cushion? No, I don't, I don't think I want the cushion. cushion. I don't want it. Rude. Well, <laughs> I didn't ask for a cushion. There's a nice furry carpet. You can sit down here. Come on. Mm. Do you want to sit on my jumper? He prefers to sit on my jumper. Does he? I mean, I understand that. Look at this. I've got notes about you. Have you? I might know stuff you didn't know I knew. I might know stuff that isn't true. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure that would be the case. <laughs> do we wear headphones? You can wear headphones, oh, yeah. Let's do it. We're... It's quite. I like it when you wear headphones because you sound better. It's lovely to see you. And you. What made you decide to do this? I don't know, midlife crisis? I'm not sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm honoured. How could I do this without you? Do we sound okay? Yeah? Can you speak? Yes. Alfred, speak. Alfred. He can't. He won't. Unless someone knocks on the door. If you knock on the door, he'll bark. (laughs) Don't do that. Let's do that. Should we do that later? Yeah, later. Yeah, let's not scare It can scare be our them. alarm at the end. Scare the poor thing. Can I, don't get up yet, Alf. I want to get a sweetener from my bag. Oh, yeah. It's right there. You've already got them. Oh, look at that. I'm so organised. Right, yeah. <laughs> it was a little old lady moment. <laughs> <laughs> my God, they happen quite a lot now. Do they? Yeah. Mm. Do you get them, old lady I, I like that you're using a biro to stir your tea. Well, it's not a spoon, is it? I don't think the Queen does that, love. <laughs> I bet she does. <laughs> This is where I think podcasting has huge parallels with with reading because mm-hmm. um, you can start to imagine Olivia Coleman's living room and her dogs running around and it starts to, you know, his words, his commentary paint a picture that takes you there. And there's something mm-hmm. really lovely about that. And you can't do that in a soundbite. You can only mm-hmm. do that when you are invested in coming to a conversation that you're going to lend your ears to for a good long while. And 
And that's, again, something that, you know, the, the beauty of podcasting is nobody ever accidentally downloads a podcast. It's a really deliberate act. You have to look it up, find it, hit that subscribe button, then just download the episode you want to watch. You know, plug your earphones in if you're on the move, as we were once in a life pre-COVID. Um, so, that, so actually, by the time somebody comes to listen to your podcast, they've already decided that they're going to give you a go. And then your job as a podcaster is to keep them there. And and I love that user journey because it's so different to anything I've ever done before. Do you know what? It's so true. It's the fact that someone's even starting to listen to your podcast means they've had to make that journey and think of that. And that's a lovely way of thinking of it too. It's special. And it's, you know, there is no greater kick and thrill than somebody putting a, a comment on your wall on Instagram or Twitter saying, this is my first ever podcast. And you just think, <gasps> Oh my gosh, I'm popping your podcast, Cherry. That's so exciting because it for me, when you bring somebody into podcasting, it's like opening the door of Narnia because once you go in, there is this wealth of brilliant content for people to just take what they want from. It's like walking through a fruit orchard and you can just keep picking pieces off the trees because it is is there's just it's just endless and it's, it's brilliant actually it's free as well and that's you know mm -hmm. nobody nobody really charges for podcasts I know there's a few pop platforms that do but to to mm -hmm. give that away and for people to you know I get messages all the time I'm sure you do too but they mean so much that mm -hmm. oh I've just listened to you on my dog walk or my run or you're keeping me sane in lockdown or you know or, or people that are just resonating with topics that you discuss be it something that's puerile and facile and stupid or something really deep and meaningful like grief or mental health or eating disorders, whatever it may be, you can you can connect with people on so many different levels. You're all part of this one conversation. It's yeah. lovely. And, you know, and that's lovely. And you could, there's something out there for whatever mood you're in. You know, if you need to learn about something, that there's educational podcasts out there that are really interesting. If you want to talk about food, there's that out there. If you want motor racing, that's there. You know, whatever you, whatever it is that floats your boat, there is something there waiting to find its way into your ear. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. With podcasts, it, you can kind of get to places that you'll never get to. I'd be that fly in the wall. And the mm. next thing I want to talk about is where should we begin with Esther Perel? And I have mentioned this on the podcast before um, on series one with Jader Caesar. And she got me into it because I had never, I'd never listened to it before. I suppose it's breathtakingly frank. It's really insightful, very entertaining. And um, because you're listening to these real couples and they're anonymous, but they're bearing their raw, they're intimate, they're the profound details of their story. But since listening to this, there's a lockdown version now as well. 
I know, which I can't wait to get into. This is, it's a stunning, stunning listen. It really is because you, you're right. You're in the therapy room with couples who are bearing some really difficult uh, moments in their, in, in their, their own relationship guided Mm. beautifully by this intelligent, thoughtful woman who and, and it offers up so many parallels. You learn so much listening to it. But I, I guess, you know, in its most top line form, it's it's the ultimate in a nosy listen because you're sitting yeah. in on somebody's therapy sessions. And for me, you know, I when I was a teenager, I, I had a, a, a quite a tough time in my teens with with bullying at school and weight issues and that those those two things combined. I made a documentary many years later to finally understand that those two things were really big contributing factors to me developing eating disorders. And the way I got out of that as a teenager was through a brilliant GP who did talking therapy with me at a time when nobody had therapy. You know, you're, you're talking about the 80s, you know, okay. and therapy became a lifeline for me. It saved me from from ultimately living a life under this horrible cloud of of body dysmorphia and dysfunctional eating and many many years later I went back into therapy in my adult life when I became a single parent and I just couldn't come to terms with the grief of losing what I thought was my future as a family and I struggled terribly with it and I I bored my friends you know into submission almost so in the end I gave I, I gave up the ghost and I thought I need to go and talk to somebody professional so I went back into therapy and it's again it saved me and I have huge respect for talking therapies and I wish that I wish that mental health was given the same level of um, attention and funding as our physical health and so for me listening in to somebody like Esther who is one of the best in the world I think I, I I think there is something that I continue to learn from with her every time I, I plug in and listen. And I would really encourage anybody that wants to learn more about how to have a healthy relationship um, or how to overcome real trauma and difficulties in your life. Just just to just to give her half an hour of your ears and you'll learn something. I think it's beautiful. The relationship is rapidly unraveling. They've been together for 25 years in a highly reactive, volatile relationship. And they're in the midst of a divorce. I'm scared to death of my wife. She scares me. When she's upset, she's, to me, like a Disney villain. Okay. They live in New York City. They have been quarantined together for the past two weeks due to COVID-19. He would like to be anywhere but with his wife at this moment. Living with someone who has so much contempt for me and feels that I am trying to control you by asking you to isolate with your family, which is what the governor is asking us to do. But he has made a choice out of duty and obligation to be with his family. But it certainly is not what he wants, and he reminds her that constantly. Like two weeks ago, I had to get pediatrician, child therapist, everybody to explain to him why seeing his girlfriend during COVID was not appropriate or safe for the girls. For her, his coldness, his businesslike responses 
are triggering deep woundedness around being ignored. The efficient and professional language that he uses to talk about the dissolution of a 25-year relationship, it is so deeply painful to me that he speaks to me in this way. Which then leads him to talk about how many years he felt rejected by her because of her sexual refusal and the rut that they lived in for so many years since the birth of their children seven years ago. My wife has told me that we have no chemistry sexually, that she enjoys being with her other lovers more than me. The therapy that helped me the most was called psychodynamic. And it's about skilled listening, but interjecting at a point where you can help somebody to learn to unlock their narrative, I suppose, and and how to share. And I found that fascinating. So after that, I launched a series on Radio 2, which we're about to record more on remotely, called Paper Cuts. And it's a life stories piece where I walk somebody through their life via the headlines and I think you know I put my almost put a therapist hat on when I do that show because I it's giving somebody their life as reported and asking them Mm -hmm. to kind of feedback actually what what was their take on those seminal moments. Do you think going back and getting those qualifications has helped you as an interviewer Kate? I think it has had a massive impact on how I how I do everything really. For two years most people go into therapy when they need it. And when you study therapy mm-hmm. and you're in a good place, and I was in a really good place at that point, I had to go in for two years and you have to bring something into a session every week. So you do this really like deep level of work where you're almost finding things to present in a session to make, <laughs> to make it worthwhile. And that's where you do the deep learning about yourself. Mm-hmm. Actually doing that work, I've realized actually fundamentally, I might, don't get me wrong, I make loads of mistakes and I probably make bad calls and bad decisions. But fundamentally what I learned was that I, I liked my moral compass that I had good Mm -hmm. intentions. And I think if you're well-intended and you're kind Mm -hmm. and you have thought for others and empathy and compassion, then then you're fundamentally an okay person. The the person that you have to live with is yourself. And if you're happy with with your decisions and how you've gone, that's the most important thing. Um, Speaking there of uh, Esther Perel and real life and real life couples, I think, Kate, you can't make up real life. Nothing is as mad or crazy or interesting as real people. And the next thing I want to talk about is the dropout. Oh my God, have you listened? Do you know what? I started it because I haven't listened to it before. And you sent me, I think you sent me this list about a week or two, two weeks. It was yeah. two weeks ago or so. And that was one of the first ones I started looking because I've I some of them I've listened to already. And I just read the synopsis initially because I love, I love a lot of murder and crime. And this is not necessarily murder, but it's real life. It's crime. It's just the stories. And I love, I just love it. And um, you know, they're making a, a show about it. Are they? Oh, I'm so excited. Yeah. Kate McKinnon. Do you know Kate McKinnon from SNL? She's going to be playing yeah. Elizabeth Holmes. Oh, my God. I mean, it is the most extraordinary con job in modern times. I mean, this woman, she was faking it and making it at the same time. I say fake it till you make it, but this is a little bit too far. Oh, my God. Yeah, this is off the scale ridiculously. <laughs> like, how the hell did she get away with it? She was, mm-hmm. I mean, I want to say an incredible fraud, but it sounds like a compliment and it's not what she did was terrible, but she conned people into funding. I mean, she was on the cover of Forbes magazine. 
But how, how much credibility does that lend you when mm-hmm. Forbes magazine endorsed the fact that you are out there claiming that you are going to change the face of modern medicine? And she had all of these incredible people, people that had been innovators at Apple and members of of the then Senate in America, big politicians endorsing her. And she was full of crap. I mean, Walmart had placed, I think it was Walmart, placed the most extraordinary order from her. And even then, under the scrutiny of somebody like that, she's still pulling it off, even though her product didn't work. We are on the record at the beginning of media number one, volume one. This is the testimony of Elizabeth Holmes going on the record in San Francisco, California at 9 o'clock a.m. on July 11th, 2017. Ms. Holmes, please raise your right hand. Do you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? I do. That's the voice of Elizabeth Holmes, the founder of healthcare company Theranos and once the world's youngest self-made female billionaire. Are you appearing here today pursuant to the subpoena? I am. She's giving testimony under oath in the summer of 2017. She's sitting in what looks like an empty conference room, her blonde hair pulled back in a messy bun. Her eyes are wide and unblinking. She's sitting across from 12 attorneys, being grilled as the government investigates whether she helped orchestrate an elaborate years-long fraud. Did it concern you that a number of tests weren't working on Theranos' devices? Look, I, I, I know that we made mistakes. Not so long ago, Elizabeth was Silicon Valley's rising star. A healthcare pioneer is being compared to visionaries like Bill Gates and Steve Jobs this morning. Her face was plastered across magazine covers, and she was on TV all the time. This is a revolutionary company that threatens to change healthcare the same way that Amazon changed retail, or Intel and Microsoft changed computing, or Apple, yes, changed the cell phone. It could be that huge. Her technology was poised to change healthcare forever. Do you want to know? about every element of your health. Most people would say yes. Here she is being interviewed by Bill Clinton. You founded this company 12 years ago, right? Tell them how old you were. I was 19. Do you know what it makes me think about as well? Just how... Like just fake news and what we read and what we believe. And yeah. there's a lot of people in power, you know, ruling and uh, running big nations that say things that we just believe. And and similar to, th- to this woman, and if someone's confident enough and says something, you believe them. I mean, you if you read it on paper, you of course you believe it. When you see her talk, you believe mm-hmm. her. But the, the story was, it, she was a former, I mean, Silicon Valley kind of poster girl, I suppose. And she was the youngest self-made female billionaire so i mean when i say she was she was a con artist actually you know with bells on a female billionaire the youngest self-made and you know that's why forbes were all over her and she Mm -hmm. dropped out of stanford to launch her own company claiming that her technology could detect hundreds of diseases from a couple of drops of blood that were so simple to administer that this was going to revolutionize and change the face of modern medicine. And because she'd been this kind of, you know, because she had the billion dollars behind her and the endorsements and the Forbes magazine cover, people really believed it until some people on her team started to smell a rat. 
And she was aggressive in shutting them down. I promise you, once you start listening to this, you'll go into a Google rabbit hole. And I think I lost about two nights of my life to just <laughs> Googling the crap out of Elizabeth Holmes. That's the dropout. Um, it was a three-year investigation to compile yeah. this this podcast. It was a lot of research. And yeah, listen to it for yourself. And I love everyone who listens to it will probably take something different from it. Hey. Rebecca Rebecca Jarvis, who's the host of A Cheese Brilliant as well. It's, it's, it's a great She's story really how good. it's told. I think, you know, sometimes we have to celebrate as well that that that, that level of effort and commitment mm-hmm. and work to, to telling a really, really important story. I know. Maybe there'll be an, oh, do you know, I'd love like an updated podcast. Cause sometimes so they do. I, do you know what I bet as well? I bet when this uh, TV series comes out, there'll be more. Because similar with, um, you know, the Tiger King and Carol Baskin and yeah. all that. There was a podcast yeah. years ago. And then since the documentary on Netflix obviously was huge and everyone was watching it, they've now kind of brought out some more podcasts and extra episodes. So I, I oh. think we'll see more uh, about this story in the next few I years. I think so next year or so. Because, because there, there really hasn't been anybody like her before mm-hmm. or since, really, in terms of what she, she got away with. Incredible. Incredible. Please go and listen. The next podcast is Evil Genius. And this is looking at real people. Uh, this is with Russell Kane, who is a good pal of mine. Love Russell. Hilarious. Love Actually, him. check him out on Instagram during lockdown because he cracked me up. <laughs> but when I first heard about this podcast, when he first started this a while ago, I was like, how is he going to do this? So basically, based on real people, figures in history, well-known people. And he gets a group of people together, um, only about three guests uh, in studio uh, when he was recording them. And... He takes this person, it could be anyone from Gandhi, um, Mother Teresa, and you have to decide whether they are evil or genius. Now, you think initially, how could anyone think Mother Teresa is evil? And then enter stage left, Russell Kane. Exactly. And what I love about this show, because he also does another podcast that I really like called Boys Don't Cry. And, and I really love Russell. I think he's 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 on an upcoming episode of White Wine Question Time. And and, and I, I managed to nab him in lockdown. I, I think he's one of the most underrated comedians in the country. Why he's not sort of Michael McIntyre-esque in terms of his visibility is is beyond me. He he kind of pushes boundaries as well. So I think if he went as commercial as Michael, he probably couldn't say the things that he's saying. Yeah. Follow him on lockdown on Instagram because his daily caning sessions are just genius. Um, but what I loved about this is I learned so much, right? So you, you tune into an episode. I'm wildly entertained because he's as funny as hell. But actually, it's this brilliant social history lesson, really, because you learn so many things. It makes you laugh, which is amazing. But it, mm-hmm. it's a real education, actually. And he has great panellists on. Uh, and they're normally about half an hour episode. And I, I just love that the ability for all of us to change your mind. You're like, I didn't. As soon as you get told a different fact, how fickle we are as humans. And actually, sometimes it's really, really brilliant to have your opinion changed and, and to go, oh, I think differently now. And finally, Kate Thornton, we have to mention probably the greatest podcast of all time, Desert Island Discs. You did say, we did start talking about it and you're saying, initially it didn't really, it was before podcasts even existed. It kind of created the landscape for podcasts. It did in some ways. It brought people like me to it, for sure. Mm-hmm. We have to remember a life pre-podcast where long-form interviews were very rare. But Desert Island Discs has always been there, flying the flag for for a, a long listen and really getting under the skin of people and, you know, it's a beautiful format in as much as it brings you to these really key moments. So it's almost like 
you're drilling into the moments that are the skeleton of that person, that they are the thing that hold them up, that have formed the person that they are today. And it's a great snapshot into their world and their thinking and their background. And I think I said to you when we did our podcast together, when you came on Mm -hmm. White Wine Question Time, I'd just come from a meeting that day as I came to meet you with a guy that I really respect that runs a huge radio network. And he said to me, the two most powerful moments in radio happened last weekend. And the first was Laura Whitmore on Five Live with that very, very difficult, but beautifully put opening that you did to your show. And he said, then the second was Ian Wright's episode of Desert Island Discs. And I listened to that episode on the running machine in the gym and I wept and I didn't care that anybody could see me crying because if they did and they'd come over and said, are you okay? I'd say, no, you've got to listen to this. This is just wonderful. And I think sometimes people have the ability to open up and share very powerful moments in their lives. And sometimes you can take something from it and other times it's just a privilege to listen. And to reiterate what you said, it is a privilege to be part of of that that conversation and and the mm. Ian Wright one I remember when I listened to it I think within the first three minutes I was crying and there's this, yeah. there's different points when he talks about different situations in his life where you can see him well up and for me anyway it was a part of Ian Wright who I mean everyone knows who Ian Wright is I'm not a huge football fan but I mean he's a legend he's iconic but yeah. I had I was like oh my god like I'd never seen that side of him and mm. it, it just it humanizes people and it just just those things that happened to you when you were a child. He talks about his teacher and people believing yeah. in you. And 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 I know it happens for me. Sometimes it's that one person, it doesn't matter what the world is saying, that one person that you grew up with, be it, it could be your dad, it could be a friend, a neighbor, a teacher. And when they say they're proud of you and what that means, it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. You know, I think we've all got people in our lives where you can listen to somebody like Ian Wright's story and you can relate because we've all had that moment of huge lack of self-belief and then somebody comes along and and tells you that you you can do this and you believe them and you go on and you do that and it changes things it changes your life more than 3000 episodes have been recorded oh. so quite a back catalog it did start in 1942 yeah. i love there's some great funny facts about it too and uh, I know this because I'm a little bit obsessed with Engelbert Humperdinck, really I randomly. Um, I love him. What's I basically, his real name? What's oh, his it's, real name? it's like it's like Frank or John or something, isn't it? Because I I was supposed to be seeing him at the London Palladium on my birthday this week, and obviously, like everything else, it was postponed. When I listened to his Desert Island Disc case, the book that he chose was his autobiography. <laughs> Like you can't remember. <laughs> and it made me laugh so much because I was like, yeah, classic Engelbert. Oh, the one book that you could bring to Desert Island was your autobiography. That's 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 so egotistical, isn't it? I love it. Oh. Um, his real name was is Arnold George Dorsey. Oh, strong. I think that's a good name. Arnold is not a rock star name. It's not a pop star name. I mean, Arnie, Arnie. Arnie. Engelbert isn't either, but yeah, he's brilliant. <laughs> um, but I absolutely love that. I'm not going to ask you for eight songs, but do you have like a certain song? Because I know music is so important to you. And I mean, yeah. you've worked in the music industry and interviewed all the stars. And do you have those songs that I suppose everyone does that kind of shape that when yeah. you listen to it, I've got songs when I listen to it, it just brings me back to that moment. Oh God, completely. So for me, Listen Without Prejudice, volume one. That's just mm-hmm. one of my most seminal albums. I loved George Michael as mm. as a teenager. He was my, 
he was my first love and then to be able to to grow with him as as I became more sophisticated as a teenager and his music as a solo artist became more sophisticated and meaningful and I just grew through life with George Michael he and and and, and was so blessed and lucky enough to form a f- friendship with him I love and, that I love casually friends with George Michael I, you know, only because he phoned me on Loose Women live on air and, and we we struck up a dialogue and I, I was so scared of getting to know my favourite pop star on the planet yeah. just in case he disappointed and do you know what he never did all he did was exceed every expectation he was a glorious human being and every Christmas she, you know our friend Shiara Shiara this yeah. year bought for me for Christmas Wham Last Christmas t-shirt and I will forever wear that t-shirt on Christmas Day and remember that beautiful man because and his music now I'm still at that stage where I can't I can't listen to it without feeling sad and the other day when we were in lockdown one of my neighbours blasted out a whole day of George Michael and I had no control over it I couldn't turn it down or turn it off and actually, it was really, it really, I don't know, I probably sound like I'm being really overly dramatic, but it was really helpful. And listening mm-hmm. to things like Praying for Time and just the, I mean, yeah, everything that he did meant something to me. And mm-hmm. I think another song that I just, I don't even know where I found it, but it is, if I have to choose a favourite song of all time, and I don't like anything else that she's ever done, but my favourite song of all time is Joan Armour Trading, Love and Affection. Because to me, that song sounds like love. I, I don't know about you in lockdown, but uh, I go through stages, different times of the day where I put on certain music because it just changes my mood. So I have my, I'm even rationing my favourite songs because I'm thinking, I'm not going to put you on yet because you're for when I really I'll have you later. Yeah, exactly. I'll have you later. Kay Thornton, this has been an absolute pleasure. Before oh. I let you go, white wine question time. Uh, check it out if you haven't already. This is my kind of podcast. It's a genius idea, isn't it? It's a great idea. Do you like it? Yeah. I think it's for women everywhere. (laughs) (laughs) This is White Wine Question Time with me, Kate Thornton. Each week, I'll be bringing together three well-known friends with three bottles of wine and three thought-provoking questions. Is she your moral compass? Yes. Yes. Because she'll do anything. (laughs) Yeah, right now. And you try to stick false eyelashes on. I try. <laughs> Sorry to laugh, but you look shit when you did that. You look like the most comical thing in the world. I've drunk more than anybody else, I fear. Standard. Charlie says, never cross the road when there's traffic going past. Do you remember that? Silly advert. Yeah. <laughs> what, teaching children to keep themselves alive? Pointless. <laughs> This is when our best conversations as friends happen. We open a bottle or however many of wine and the conversation flows and it jumps around and it goes to brilliant, funny, heartfelt, emotional, ridiculous places. When I did the da going down and the da coming back up, me boobs were out. <laughs> From knowing you all as well as I do, that there's, there's gold in them hills. <laughs> That's White Wine Question Time, featuring conversations and confessions from Amanda Holden, Heidi Range, Carol McGiffin, Tamsin Outhwaite, Angela Griffin, All Saints, and many more. It's incredible. You have had so many people on it. Sometimes you get like a few people in one go and it's kind of your part of a chat and a friendship group. Who would you like to have on the show that you haven't had on yet? God, that's a really, really good question. Elizabeth Holmes. 
<gasps> oh, get get a bottle of wine and see what she has to say yeah. for herself. I think I'd love to talk to, you know, the people that sort of put a fire in my belly. I'd love to, I mean, I've just finished Afterlife 2 and oh. I just want to sit and talk to Ricky Gervais forever about how he did that. I think he's fascinating, Ricky. And he's somebody yeah. that never conforms. He writes his own rules and he plays by them. I love him. Um, so Ricky would be great. And I'm too scared to DM him. I don't know why, because I just DM everyone else. It's funny, though, if you don't ask, you don't get... I've actually talked about this on a recent episode with uh, Jordan Stevens and... He was talking about when he started out in Rizzle Kicks. Similar to what you were saying, when you start out, maybe it's naivety and maybe it's the, you just, ah, ambition. That he used to like message labels, message everybody. And he used to get things back. But as you get older, you get a little bit embarrassed to do that. And I I remember there was like someone I wanted for my show. I was too embarrassed to ask. And then I ended up asking and they said yes. And I thought, why didn't I just ask them a year ago? And and Ricky is like somebody that I've known for a long time. And he was a massive X Factor fan. So he always used to come down to the shows when I was hosting Mm -hmm and sit in my dressing room and my dressing room was directly next to Simon Cowell's and we used to be really childish and sit and listen with glasses uh, to the wall to listen to Simon's conversations. <laughs> we were really childish. Louis Walsh used to come in and Sharon and we'd all sit there. So I've had some really fun times with Ricky. And I'm I have sure to say, when I was that. thinking what was going on backstage at X Factor, I wasn't imagining that. I, I know, but you know, like, so Ricky would do like a commentary to it, like, I'll oh, listen yeah. to him. He's putting his yeah. big old trousers on. Um, yeah. And, you know, it, it, it was just fun. He's a lovely man. And so is his partner, Jane, um, who's one of my favourite authors. Um, so Ricky and Jane would be great. Yeah. Well, check it out if you haven't already. And um, congratulations. It's an incredible oh, podcast. And you are busier than ever as you're in lockdown. Good luck with the homeschooling as well. Oh, Jesus. Just to all the parents out there, we also deserve medals. Thank you so much for being on Castaway. Oh, Lots thank love. you, darling. Thank you. And that's it. Another episode down as we delve deep into my guest's audio world. I hope you get cast away by today's top podcast picks. Yeah, I just said that, sorry. All of the podcasts we've mentioned today are included in the episode show notes. Now, if you love this conversation as much as I did, please share your thoughts by leaving a review. And if you'd like to receive weekly installments of Cast Away delivered straight to your phone, hit the subscribe button. Until next time, that's it from me. Take care. Want flexibility? Take yoga. Want flexibility with your health insurance? Check out United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget friendly medical, dental, and vision coverage that may be right for you. More at uh1.com. 